0: Okay, as I was preparing for this message, I really felt the Lord stir something in my, in my heart that I, uh, I just want to share. Um, and the, the phrase was, there is more. There is more. Like, what do we do with this, this information when we realize how many people still need to know the Lord? What do we do with that? And yet we, some of us, I think, have the stirring in our hearts that there is more. We're not on our own. He has promised to be with us in this mandate. We don't do it on our own what do we do? And I feel like there's, there's three groups of people here. Others as well. But three in particular that I want to just speak to. I feel like there's some here that the Lord has recently been stirring in your heart. That there's, there's something more. There's got to be more. More to my faith than what I've been living. And God's stirring something in you. And maybe you don't know what that means or how to walk that out. But you know that there's something more. There's something more. And you just want to go all in. Whatever he wants, you want to go all in. There's a second group of you that God has stirred that in your heart over time. And there's been seasons where you felt like, yeah, there's got to be more. There's more. And God's, you know, you feel like he's calling you to something deeper and something more. But you're you're hesitant. You're afraid because you don't know how that's going to impact your life. There's uncertainty. There's discomfort. You just don't know. And you're like, okay, let's just... Just settle this down a little bit. Just I don't want to disrupt my comfortable life. Um, I want to follow the Lord, but I'm just afraid. And there's a third group of you who have at one point in your life, you felt that stirring from the Lord and you stepped out in faith and you fell flat on your face. And you felt like I, I was obedient to the Lord and it just all went wonky. And I believe the Lord is saying... No, that was, that was me. I am stirring it up. I'm stirring it up, and I want to redeem that. Don't shut it out. The Lord is stirring things in our hearts for the purposes of his kingdom, so that we can be his hands and feet, so that we can be the salt and light that he's called us to be. Again, next weekend is a great opportunity, and every day between now and then is another opportunity. So if you fall into one of those three categories, I actually want to just pray for you right now, and I would invite you to stand up. If you feel the Lord has been stirring something in you recently, or he's been stirring something, and you don't know what that means, but you're just like, God's doing something. I don't know. I'm going to invite you to stand up. Don't be shy. Awesome. The Lord's doing something. Father, we thank you that by your spirit, you are stirring things up. Lord, your word says, Romans 12 verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Lord, I pray that, I pray for those that you have just recently been stirring up and they're like, I'm all in. Lord, I pray that, that you would give them uh, guidance, surround them with people that can help navigate what best way to do that. Lord, I pray for those that are scared of this, they don't know what to do and how it's going to disrupt things maybe in their lives. We don't know exactly what you're calling people to uh, in terms of the specific details all the time. But Lord, I pray that you would build their faith to know that they are in the palm of your hand. And you've got them. You've got them and you've got, you've got a purpose for them. I pray also for those that have tried it before and feel like they've failed. Lord, you are the God of redemption. I have no idea what the circumstances were for that, but Lord, I pray that you would unpack that again in their hearts. And God, collectively, Calvary as a church, and these in particular, Lord, that you would equip us, empower us by your spirit, get us grounded in your word so that we can be the salt and light to carry out the great commission that you have called your church to do. Lord, we look forward to how you're going to use each one. I pray for specific um, guidance for the next step whatever that is, even if they don't see down the road for the next step, whatever that means in their particular situation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so the state of Christianity in Canada, there's a lot of work to be done. The stirring in many of our hearts, what do we do with that? I want to talk today about discipleship, and in particular, Discipleship of obedience. We're called to be disciples. And we're called to make disciples. That is our part of the kingdom work. Matthew 28:18 to 20, it says, And he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mandate given to the church. And we see it in, in different forms uh, in the Gospels and in Acts as well. The point being, go out and reproduce make disciples. See, Jesus made disciples, and he told them to make disciples, which they did. And that's been carried on for 2,000 years. The reason you and I are here today is because there have been faithful people to carry on the disciple-making process over the last 2,000 years. And that message has come to you, and now you also carry that mandate to carry it on for future generations. But the question can be, well, what is discipleship? What does that mean? So in the New Testament— Uh, In the New Testament, uh, disciple, the word disciple is used well over 250 times. I think it's 276. I can't quite remember. So 250 times, well over 250 times. Christian is used three times. Uh, So what is a disciple? You know, Jesus, when he came, he didn't invent discipleship when he came. There was a culture there among the Jewish uh, people where rabbis would have disciples and they would follow. And the, the whole goal there was for the rabbi to teach and instruct and guide and model for their students and impart to them uh, so that they could become like him. The whole point of a disciple, their whole purpose was to become like the rabbi. Not just learn good teaching, but actually become like him. Disciple means learner, and it's not just learning facts, but also learning how. When Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, when he called them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not, I'm just going to teach you a whole lot about fishing for men. I will make you fishers of men. It's not just the what, it's the how and the doing. And so they would follow. So our whole purpose as disciples of Jesus is to become like him to become like the master Romans 8:29 it talks about how we are being conformed to the image of Christ the spirit is working that in us and our part is to continue to pursue him as well and collectively we work towards this goal of becoming like Jesus in his character but also in his ministry discipleship making disciples is teaching to obey Matthew 28 Teaching them to obey everything I commanded. It's not just teaching them everything I commanded. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded. The indicator of a disciple is obedience to the master. So we're called to a discipleship of obedience. Which makes us like him. Titus 2 verses 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Notice here this grace, the same grace that saves us, that gives us salvation, actually works in us to manifest in how we live our lives, to say no to ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, to be eager to do what is good. The grace that we receive at salvation isn't just for salvation. It's also for his righteousness to be working in and through us. So our pursuit as disciples is to obey everything he commanded. You know, when we got baptized, baptism is obviously a a representation of, of that, Salvation that's taken place in our lives. Baptism is hugely important. When we get baptized, we're basically saying, I am ready to die for this. Because we're identifying with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection. I am committing, I'm, I'm putting myself aside and I'm, I'm identifying with Christ. And so we identify with him in our baptism and we live it out the rest of our lives. Like a marriage. When you say, I do at the altar... That's, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. Then you follow through on that commitment for the rest of your lives. But sometimes this discipleship of obedience, we can, we can get a little bit distracted with other discipleships. Not that these things are all bad necessarily, but they're not the primary pursuit that we should be pursuing or the primary indicator of what it means to be a disciple. And so I'm going to go through here Uh, A few different types of discipleships that we might be pursuing that I believe miss the point. The first one is a pleasure or comfort based discipleship. And the main point here is that God wants to bless me. Does God want to bless you? Yes, He does. Absolutely. Of course, He does. So, uh, this focus could say things like, if I follow the right principles and have the right attitude, I'll have his blessing. God wants only what's good for me. He came to fix my problems. He won't call me to suffer because suffering is not from him. Delight, my, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's scripture. It's true. But someone who is really focusing on a pleasure or comfort-based discipleship might say, if something causes me displeasure or discomfort, I won't do it because God wouldn't call me to do that. Here's the problem. What about Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21? So Jesus is sharing the parable of the sower, the generous sower who sows on different types of soil. I won't go through the whole thing, but there's four types of soil. And he's explaining uh, the parable afterwards, and in verses 20 to 21, it says: The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Oh, this is great. Jesus came to fix all my problems. Excellent. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. A pleasure or comfort-based discipleship means we are at risk of falling away the moment something hard comes. See, Jesus didn't come simply to just fix all my problems right now. Some of you and many people around the world, when they came to the Lord, things got worse. Now, he he will fix all of our problems in eternity. Yes, he will. But his promise here is more, I will be with you. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying to the Father, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Do you think he wanted to endure the crucifixion? It's not exactly a pleasurable or comfortable situation. But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He was not pursuing pleasure. He was pursuing the path of obedience. Now, of course, in the end, he knew. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that after this, it'll be glorious. He knows that in your presence is fullness of joy, that he would would be with the Father again. But getting there was not pleasurable. We don't pursue a pleasure or comfort-based discipleship. Secondly, a knowledge-based discipleship. The main point here is I need to know and understand truth. Do we need to know and understand truth? Yes. Yes, we do. It's very important that we do. So someone who really focuses on this might say, I really need to be fed well at church. You need, some, you need to give me some good meat when you're preaching. So hopefully I'll accomplish that. Um, and you've got some excellent teachers in this church. Excellent teachers. There is meat every Sunday and more that you get. Um, they would focus on verses like study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. They want to look for profound teaching, not just milk, Maybe they're motivated to be like the men of Issachar who understood their times and knew what Israel ought to do. And so not just knowing the word, but knowing what's going on in the world. And maybe even trying to understand what's going on all behind the scenes with governments and everything, right? They might focus on Proverbs because it's a book of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And it's great. I'm not saying all these things are bad. They say, I want to know the truth so that it will set me free, John 8.32. John 8.32. They might say if I know something and understand it that's enough but if I don't understand it I won't do it because I'm not going to follow blindly. Here's the problem. John 6 Jesus tells his disciples and uh, in John 6 he, uh, disciples there's referring to much more than just the 12. Uh, he's teaching and he says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part with me. And they're like this is this is a hard saying. Who who can accept this? And he goes on and he makes it even more complicated. And they start leaving and walking away. And he doesn't say, wait, wait, guys. No, let me rephrase that. You didn't understand me. I didn't really mean come and take a bite out of my arm. Okay? He doesn't say that. He lets them walk away. And he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to go too? Turns to the 12. They had no idea what he was talking about either. But said, where, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand, but they knew he was the guy. This is the guy to follow. Genesis chapter 3. Let me ask you this. Were Adam and Eve pursuing knowledge or obedience? Knowledge. Knowledge. A knowledge they were never meant to have. Again, knowledge itself isn't bad. But that's not our ultimate pursuit. James 1.22. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. When we just listen to the word and don't follow through on what it tells us to do, we invite deception into our lives. The word is not just meant to be understood. It's meant to be lived out. The word became flesh. That is meant to be manifested in our lives as well. Okay, the next one. A power-based discipleship. The main idea here is I need the power of the Holy Spirit to impact those around me. Do we need the power of the Holy Spirit to impact those around us? Yeah. Yes, we do. Absolutely we do. Acts one you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Someone who's focused on this might say, we need to see healings and prophecy and tongues and miracles, etc. We need to show the power of the gospel because it's not just a good idea. It's not just a theological proposition. There is power in the gospel. We need to be like the early church again. Signs, wonders, and miracles and understand the power that is in the name of Jesus. The problem is when this is our pursuit and our only pursuit. We read Matthew Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Power. And drive, in your name, drive out demons? Power. And perform many miracles? Power. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Power itself is not the point. It's not the end goal. It's actually better uh, translated there. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Only those who does the will of my Father in heaven. Power itself is not the end goal. Experience-based discipleship. The main idea here is I need to connect intimately with the Lord. Do we need to connect intimately with the Lord? Absolutely we do. The emphasis here would be we need to have the tangible presence of God in our worship. Thank you, Taylor, for leading us in worship. (coughs) Love it. We need to press through and have true connection in prayer with the Lord, which happens here on a regular basis, I'm sure. Someone might say, if I don't feel God's presence, then it was a waste of time to come to church. The emphasis is we need to be more aware of the supernatural presence around us. Let's see angels and visions and dreams. Let's get words from God and be filled up with God. We want more supernatural experiences just to know his presence. Not that those are bad. I'm not saying that. Here's the problem. What about 1 Corinthians 14? So in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and there was a lot of issues in that church. It's interesting that a number of our New Testament epistles we have because there were problems in the church. That's how we got scripture. And he's addressing a situation where they're regularly having spiritual experiences, intimate times with the Lord. And in that situation, it was tongues. And he nowhere does he deny that they're actually speaking in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he, everything suggests he acknowledges it is the power of the Holy Spirit. They are having these experiences, but he's saying, wait, 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 wait. It's not just about you having this experience. There's something greater here that needs to happen. It's not being done in the right way. And so in that context, he's he's saying, no, that when, if, if you're all just speaking in tongues, nobody understands it, so nobody's edified. There's got to be understanding so that others around can be edified. And if an unbeliever comes in and you're all speaking in tongues, you're going to think you're crazy. But if you're speaking... prophetically, the unbeliever will come in and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare and he will say, God is truly here. There's a greater purpose than just having spiritual experiences with God. We need to have those, absolutely. But it's not just for the sake of experience. We are called to edify and build up the church and be equipped uh, to follow through on the purposes that he's called us to. Next, an affirmation-based discipleship. God loves me for who I am. Does he love you for who you are? Yeah, he absolutely loves you. You bet he does. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This focus would say, you know, in Christ, if I'm in Christ, then when he spoke to his son at his baptism, this is my beloved son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. We share in that. So let's not hurt each other. Let's love one another. Love is love. This is just who God made me to be, false and all, so you just need to affirm me. Some might even want to be affirmed in behavior that is not in alignment with God's will. Don't tell me what to do. Just affirm me in who I am. I'm saved by grace. God loves me. And I'll I'll try my best, but where I fail, God's just not enabled me to live that out. Here's the problem. If you've read the Bible, you've come to the prophets. And you're like, oh my goodness, how many times do they say the same thing? Oh, and this prophet says the same thing again. Oh, and the next one too. Oh, and the next one too. There's a constant calling of God's people back to obedience. You are God's people, live like it. is the summary. In the New Testament, I mentioned this already, some of the New Testament epistles, the letters, they were written to call people back to living the way God had called them to live. If it was just about being affirmed, we wouldn't have half of this. If it was just about God loves me and I don't need to change. Revelation as well. Here's the good things that I see in you, each of the churches. Here are the things that are not so good and need to change. The danger with an affirmation-based discipleship is that we don't actually become like Jesus. He does love you for who you are, but maybe you've heard this. He loves you too much to leave you that way. There are others, but we won't uh, focus on others right now. Grace-based obedience. So, pleasure, knowledge, power, experience, affirmation, they're all part of the package. But our path, to these things really is a pursuit of obedience, becoming like Christ. And it's, it's easy to hear this and think, okay, is this all about rule following? Is that what this is? It's legalism? No. No, it's not. And if we read the scriptures, we can never get away from the fact that he calls us to obedience. Not in our flesh. Not for the sake of salvation. We're not doing good works to be saved. None of us can do good enough works to be saved. Jesus already did the good works to be saved. We do good works because we're saved. He gave his life for us. How can we not give our life to him in every way? Works are, and obedience are part of the package. Ephesians 2.10. So Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, we are saved by grace. Absolutely. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. But the very next verse says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has prepared good works for you in advance and empowers us by his Spirit to walk out those good works. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So it says the same thing in verse 21, that same chapter. Well, isn't it just about loving God? Like the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't we just love God? Yes. Yes, we do. But what does that look like? First John 5, 3 answers that question. This is love for God, to obey his commands. How do we love him? We obey his commands. See, he, Jesus doesn't actually separate obedience and love into two different things. Love is obedience. That's what it looks like jesus modeled it for us god's manifestation of love for us wasn't just sitting back and having nice feelings towards us he sent his son jesus who manifested his love for god through his obedience to the father it's like marriage again i alluded to this earlier i when i got married i said i made a commitment signed up to be married to be a husband and I do things not because I want to be married. I'm already married. And I live out my role as a husband not to make my wife love me. She already loves me, right, dear? I'll pay you later. Just I do them because I'm married and I want a good marriage and I love her. And I committed to this when I said I do. This is what I signed up for. If I had to just wait until I felt led to do things in marriage, boy, we would have a terrible marriage. You know, dear, I'm really not feeling led to do the dishes right now. When the spirit puts it on my heart, I'm all in. Just not there. Not feeling led to pay the bills today. You know, that diaper, I'm not feeling led. Not feeling led. No, I signed up for this. If we said yes to Jesus, we never need to feel led to be obedient to him. And there are obligations that come with it. I don't have the freedom as a husband to cheat on my wife. It's an obligation. Regardless of how I feel, that's what I signed up for. If we said yes to Jesus, we have an obligation to not worship other gods. That's what we said yes to. My motivation to live out my role as a husband isn't based on condemnation. It's not based on guilt. It is based on love. I love my wife, and so I want to bless her, and so I will do things that I don't want to do, but that need to be done. I will do things whether or not I feel like doing it. This is our relationship with the Lord as well. Our obedience to God, because we're loved by Him, is a manifestation of our love for Him. Not to earn our salvation, but to show Him our love. Okay, so obedience to what? Oh, that is the last screen. Perfect. Okay. Obedience applies as an authority, and I'll wrap it up here. And of course, our authority is Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. We live in a culture where we don't like to be told what to do. There's probably some of us even here that are like, you can't tell me what to do. That's our... (laughs) We'll pray for you later. But Jesus does tell us what to do. So when I come to the word and there's something in there that he instructs me to do that I don't want to do, I don't have an option. I don't have an option. I need to change my thinking. If I don't like something that I come across in here, I can't just decide, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Mm -mm. I signed up for this. So I need to change. I don't have authority over the truth of the word. If I decide that I'm just going to pick and choose what I want to do, we end up being... Like the days of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and we are no different than the world then. We submit ourselves to the authority of Christ as revealed in his word. Let's change the world. Hmm? See, we can look at the world and we can be discouraged and think, man, you know, there's less and less believers in Canada We live in a world where our moral standards are just tanking. Where it seems like it's going to be, you know, perhaps down the road harder and harder to be free to share our faith. Who knows? And it can be discouraging. It's like, God, get me out of here. Here's a different perspective. When you've got 30 to 35 million Canadians that need to know Jesus, what an opportunity we have to bring in a harvest. you are here for such a time as this to bring in the harvest. How can you do that? Take the word, read it, and obey it. The Holy Spirit is in you and will empower you to walk out what he's called you to do. And do it in community. You've got a community here. We've got the Word. Just start there. Read the Word and obey it. Where do I start? Start in the Gospels. Hey, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. I promise you, if we do that, we're going to see some incredible things happen. I guarantee it. Read the Word and obey it. Just obey it. Let's stand. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your word. God, this is not a a complicated thing. You've already given us your word. You've already given us your spirit. We've got the tools. Lord, help us to be faithful to an obedience-based discipleship where we seek to just do what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray that as we commit to knowing your word. Commit to community and knowing your word and to following through, not just listening to the word, but doing it. Lord, we look forward to the incredible ways that you will work in us and through us. I am excited for Calvary Church. God, there is a harvest, even right here in steinbach the 4,000 plus people that don't know you. Lord, would you bring us across their paths And help us to be faithful, to be obedient to your word, empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.